Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. What did I take away from today's episode? That we all have the capacity to manage our own fear. And what that might look like is pushing the pause button in the middle of your fear, taking a few deep breaths and realizing it's so much easier to believe the lie, which is fear, and much more difficult to believe the truth about yourself or the truth about a situation. Jamie's gonna take us through quite a few exercises and I tell you, they are life changing. So give today's episode a listen. If you've ever struggled with fear in your life, this is the podcast that can help you move through it. Jamie Winship has decades of experience bringing peaceful solutions to some of the world's highest conflict areas. After a career in law enforcement in Washington, D.C., Jamie then developed a unique process called the Identity Method, providing training and consulting in the transformative power of living fearlessly in your true identity. Welcome to Why Did I Get Cancer? I'm in hot pursuit of trying to figure out why did I get cancer? I am the healthiest person I know. It's the one year and a day anniversary of my diagnosis and This is my first podcast, and I'm super excited to welcome Jamie Winship, who is an identity exchange expert. Um, I'll talk more about that, and Jamie is really going to take a deep dive on what that actually means. But Jamie, um, welcome. It's great to see you, and we first met probably three years ago now through an organization called C3, and it's a group of Christian business owners. And the um, the tagline or their mission is how to love and lead like Jesus. Jamie, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, well, um, it's kind of self-explanatory. Identity exchange is the, is the um, concept that m- most of us, most of us humans through trauma and different things in our life have developed views of ourselves or identities that are actually not true just through all of our years of experience living all over the world and dealing in conflict zones, our question was always, what is producing continual conflict in the world? And then what are the ways out of that? Well, how do we resolve that? And there's an actual process of exchanging the false identity for who who you truly are. Because people are truly incredible and amazing and resilient, as you're an example of that. So we've worked uh, more than 30 years just trying to like really work this whole thing out. That's where we are now. We call it identity exchange and that's our company. Right. And you'd mentioned fear and internal conflict. Our world is literally on fire right now. And I, I just have to wonder if we didn't have fear and internal conflict, how would that change our interactions with our families, our communities, everywhere? Yeah. 
it's remarkable. And I, I know I, I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but as we deal with things in our world and in our lives that scare us, that produce fear in us, we have to have some kind of coping mechanism to deal with that fear because the fear produces an internal conflict of, you know, am I going to make it through this? Are we going to make it through whatever's happening? And it's, it's astonishing what happens in a room, in a group that's actually in conflict with one another when there's a process to remove fear from the room, really how quickly people can resolve very complex issues if they're not self-protecting and self-promoting in the process. They can really actually, we call it drop their fist. They drop their fist and then they can really use all the imaginative creative power of humans created in the image of God. What can we not resolve? We can resolve anything. We can walk through anything, but the fear limits our capacity to even want to work things out because we're self-protecting. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the fear, it's paralyzing. We know that fear is paralyzing. I certainly experienced that when I got the phone call that I had breast cancer. And, um, you know, I, I laughed that I dropped the phone and I said, I don't have cancer. And I just went for a walk. And we were paralyzed by fear, myself, my husband, Steve. In fact, we didn't even tell anybody I had cancer for a couple of weeks. What advice would you give somebody when they are crippled by fear? How do they get out of that headspace to actually see what's really true and real and their God-given identity? Yeah, well complexity models don't have to be complicated. So complex systems aren't necessarily complicated. It just depends what part of the complexity model you're working through, which, you know, you can't do the whole thing at once. It's too overwhelming, you know, to say, you get this diagnosis on the phone and you start thinking of every level of it all at one time. It's completely overwhelming. And so what you have to do is you have to, you it, truth tell is what we say. You have to... Like when you said you dropped the phone and didn't and said, no, I don't. That's the human coping mechanism of self-protection. It's like, nope, I'm not going to accept this. This is not going to happen. And so what you do is you actually, and this is also part of grieving, you actually move into a denial place, which is falsehood. It's false, right? And once you're into the, once you're into thinking that's not true, then, then real damage can occur. Right. I mean, the, the true situation can be very difficult and painful and suffering involved in it. But the false one, there's no way to resolve. If you if you become, if you start living in the lie, we say you're never going to get out of it. It's just going to be agony all the way through the whole whatever, whatever the scenario is. So the, the beginning of of dealing with fear is to truth tell. And fear is not bad. Fear is a survival mechanism that's really helpful and healthy as long as the fear doesn't run the show, right? As long as fear is kept in its place. So the fear has no power to decision make. It's just saying the direction you're going potentially could ruin you. And so as soon as I turn around, the fear drops. It's done. It, It did what it did. But so me acknowledging the truth, why am I, what am I afraid of? This is a really important exercise. Okay, I've gotten this news, whatever the news is. Okay, and I am now incredibly fearful to to try and step back and say, and if you happen to be a believer, 
a Christ follower, it's actually easier because you have an external place to ask questions to, right? If, if I don't believe God, it's a little more difficult because then I'm asking the questions to myself. What am I afraid of in the present tense? Which increases your fear level? Of course, of course. I mean, my mind immediately went to chemo. Actually, it went to death. And then I thought, well, maybe it's not that bad. But chemo, I'm not going to be able to work for a few years. You know, just your, your mind runs amok. So would you say then when your mind is going a million miles a minute, you're going down rabbit holes, it's just going everywhere. Would you kind of push the pause button and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Right. Absolutely. And this is, you know, people call it different things. It's prayer, it's meditation, it's centering practices. It's like, whoa, stop. And just breathing and like, calm down. You have the capacity to manage your own fear. And I can give you a lot of examples just from my own journey when we work in these war zones, but for even when you're getting a cancer diagnosis or these kinds of things is, is asking a very basic question, which I just did with, with some special forces guys the other day who are in a very difficult scenario with Afghanistan and all that. And I asked them, and I, you know, these, these men and women I was, was talking to happen to believe in God, but that's okay. I can, you can ask this in a couple of different ways. My number one question was to them before we even discuss strategy and what do we do with, you know, warfare and all that is, do you believe, do I believe, and I'm just telling, trying to tell the truth to, my, to, to myself, do I believe that God is for me, against me, or just not interested? That is a huge fundamental thing to get clear in your mind and heart. If I believe and I've become convinced in some way that God, and for the people in the group that weren't, you know, Christians, my question was, do you think the universe is for you, against you, or it doesn't matter? So if you're in the position of it's against me or doesn't matter, it's very difficult to manage the fear because it's all dependent on you then. All your responsibility to figure the whole thing out and try and work your way through it. So then I'd imagine if you feel like God or the universe is against you or just not interested, you probably stay in that rabbit hole for a lot longer. Very hard to get out. And so then whatever scenario you're in, and I think you can probably testify to this really well, it's like we understand that in life we're going to suffer and people are going to die. I mean, to to think that that's not going to happen is complete falsehood. So we know we're going to suffer. We know things are going to happen that are tragic. And um, and so the only value there is in suffering is that it produces in us grace and maturity and mercy and compassion and empathy. For humans to have to face that question, is God for me or against me, is the most meaningful, important question to settle in your own heart. And it can't be fake. It, ha- it, it, it has to be the truth of no, I... I believe that in whatever I'm in, that God is actually for me. Okay, then God is for me. What is this about? What does God want me to know about this? What does God want me to do in this? And now you're in community in it, right? You're not isolated and tragically and powerless alone. 
humans, humans' most basic fear in every scenario we've ever worked is their deep fear that they're in a situation where they're both powerless and alone. It's the human's greatest fear because humans were made to understand that they're very powerful and they're never alone. Totally nailed it. Powerless and alone. I can't imagine two more terrible feelings. That's right. So when I'm talking to people who are angry, who, who, who are committed to the fight, I know as a human, I know no matter what their ideology, what their religious background, what country they're in, I know what their, the, the cause of this hostility in them is the deep belief that they are powerless and alone. And what does a powerless and alone person do? They'll commit their life to making themselves be seen and gaining power, which are megalomaniacs, egomaniacs, narcissists. And our whole culture has moved towards that. I'm going to get as many views as I can. I'm going, to, I'm going to be able to look at my computer and see how many people are looking at me so that I know I'm not alone. Like any addiction, it only creates a deeper sense of loneliness. So true. So it sounds like, I mean, I, you're, you're a former D.C. police officer. You and your wife, Donna, spent 30 years in the Middle East working in war zones. So would you say, be it a cancer diagnosis or Parkinson's disease or a conflict in the Middle East, are most of us then driven by fear with almost every decision we make? That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And our culture, our culture thrives on the fear. The media thrives on the fear. All of it is fear fed. So fear drives everything and you lose the beauty of it all. Like you can't see beauty anymore, right? You can't. You know what? I don't know that I've heard anybody say it quite like that. But I tell you, there is a temptation. Why is our default? I'm just talking about myself. Why is my default to go back to fear, that fear loop? Because it takes no faith to believe a lie. That's why. And to believe life is good and life is beautiful and God is for us takes faith. Faith is the substance of the things that we hope for, the evidence of the things we can't see yet. To believe, if someone comes up to me and says, Jamie, you're the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life, it's very easy for me to agree with them. Like, wow, now that I think about it, yeah. But if someone comes up to me and says, you know, you're, you're, you've blessed us in so many ways, it's like almost like I, I don't, can't, you know, a thousand people like you and one hates your guts. And that one just is the one that gets you. So it takes discipline. It takes discipline. And what you did, like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to count the blessings. What you're doing is truth telling. You're you're resisting the lie. Now, I'm going to truth tell. My life has been amazing and beautiful. When I look outside, does any tree out there think the rest of the universe is against it? Nothing in the universe is against life. The whole thing is built to live and everything out there will sacrifice in order that it keep living. Only humans think it's against them. Once you come into the truth of, wow, like I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's hard to believe. But as long as we, my identity was given to me by God in my mother's womb. And I'm going to live out that identity in this world where God is for me. And it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful world for the limited time that I'm here, which is true. Because when it ends here, it doesn't end. It doesn't. But we are here a limited time. And and to stay in that space of gratitude, but also to have some techniques 
to get back there because when you stay in gratitude, you're not believing the lie. You are moving toward the truth. And there's a great scripture that David encouraged himself. And I have taken that and I say, Deborah encourages herself. And I tell you, I give myself pep talks all day long. If I can't sleep, instead of allowing my mind to go to nervousness and anxiety and fear, I start rehearsing all of the amazing things that have happened to me in my life. Right. And what, and, and people don't, ha, don't know how to do that exercise. It sounds funny, but they don't. Um, and that we just did a thing with 380 middle schoolers in a public school where we divided them into groups of 40 and we walked them through the identity process. So seventh and eighth graders in a public school. And what we, th- what we did was we asked them to sit quiet for a minute and write down all the things they believed about themselves that was hurting them. They could immediately do it. And then we would say, okay, now that list is not true, but you think it's true. You've allowed it to be true. And, and so then we, we taught them how to sit center down. We did all this in 60 minutes, taught them how to sit still be quiet and imagine that love was talking to them, that love itself, not them, but love next to them or outside them was talking to them. And then they would describe what love looked like. It was so beautiful how they did it. And, and, and then we did, okay, now give love the list of things that you call yourself or give love the list. What does love do with it? And then the kids would say, love tore it up. Love burned it. Love threw it away. And then we would pass the trash can around. They would tear it up and throw it in the trash. And then we would say, okay, now clean your, you have a clean slate of your identity. It's not all that false nonsense you've heard. What does love call you? And the things they wrote down, beautiful, beloved, was unbelievable. I'm proud of you. I respect you. They were shocked at what they were writing down. But this is for any age. You were with middle schoolers, but we could be 70 years old and have lived and believed lies about ourselves our entire life. Things that somebody told us when we were five years old. And yet we can still change at 70. We did a thing with high school principals and administrators, public high school principals and administrators. And same exercise, we did a similar exercise, a little more in depth. And we talked about the scarcity worldview versus the abundant worldview. And so these are principles of schools. When I was finished, they would, they would, principals would come up to me and they would say, upset. I've been living in a scarcity worldview my entire life and I don't even know it. I didn't even know. It. I didn't know there was an alternative. And not only that, I've been teaching it. I've been passing it down. Wow. So it's generational. It becomes generational at that point. Just the realization of this is, I actually believe it's hurting me. And there's an alternative. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Jamie, your work needs to be throughout the world. And I know you and Donna are really making huge changes everywhere you go. I'm going to ask you one final question. And then I want to talk a little bit about some of your projects that you have going. So this is how I like to end my podcast. Um, if you could give one tip that someone could use today to make whatever bad news is happening in their life more manageable, what would it be? To take, to take five minutes in quiet, breathe deep, whatever the scenario is you're thinking about in the world, and ask, ask God slash love two questions about the situation. 
What do you want me to know that I don't know? And then once you have that understanding of what do, what, do, what, is, what do I need to know that I don't know? And then what do you want me to do? Those two questions. What do you want me to know about this diagnosis? What do you want me to know about the diagnosis? What do you want me to do as a result of the new knowing? That, I ask that question all through the day, every day. Really? It seems almost too simple for the problems that are in our head. Absolutely. It is. So what you're saying then is that we might make this a little more complex than we need to. Fear complicates everything. Fear complicates everything. Truth, truth, experiential truth liberates every time. What do you want me to know that I don't know? And then what do you want me to do as a result of that new knowing? So when those middle schoolers left, they had, they had, they could ask love, what do you want me to know about myself that I don't know? You're beautiful and amazing. Okay. What do you want me to do as beautiful and amazing? And their academics change. So then, of course, they're going to be different kids for their parents. They're going to be different kind of kids with their siblings. So I could have, I mean, and I, because I know Jamie and I, I, I operate my life like this, I'd say 90% of the time. I did this a lot during my cancer um, treatment, but I didn't for the first couple of weeks of being diagnosed. And I have to tell you, um, that was the hardest two weeks of my life because I was mad at God. I was mad at all the doctors who gave me this diagnosis because I'd lived my life in such a way that I thought I'd mitigated all my risk for breast cancer. So um, living this way where you ask that question, you know, God or universe or love, what do you want me to know? Pause. And then what do you want me to do is something we can all do. It doesn't cost us any money. It costs us very little time. And it's a beautiful and positive way to live in gratitude. That's right. Very simple and very powerful, very transformative to our neural pathways and everything. So Jamie, you're, uh, you have two websites, identitymethod.com and identityexchange.com. And then you have a course coming up, which I'm actually going to sign up for because this is an area that I really do struggle with. And it's called Becoming What You Believe. And I certainly know if I wake up um, not feeling well, turn on the news, um, go to Instagram before I go to something positive and praying, um, I start believing lies. So can you tell us a little bit about that course? Yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. It's something Jesus said um, when, a, when a, a person in physical infirmity called out to him. And Jesus said, it was a blind man, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? It's an interesting question. And he said, we want to see, I want to see. And Jesus says, may it become as you believe. May it be as you believe. And so what we're doing is creating reality with our faith. That's what we're doing. And so this very beautiful picture of what do you believe about life? What do you believe about other people? What do you believe? Um, become that. Become that whole, we whole resilient person, right? But it's the idea of, of in this moment, if you lived out the fullness of who you actually are in this moment, it's astounding. It's astounding and it affects the people around you because they don't see people doing it. 
what it is. If, if becoming what you believe. So if I, if, if, if you ask God and you know, we've done this in groups is if you ask God, God, who am I? And God says, you're, you're my, you're my timeless life giver. I made you to be a timeless life giver. Then become that, believe it and become that for yourself, for other people, timeless. And so you have this diagnosis and you have the choice of demonstrating to the world a person who lives in fear, guilt, and shame in this diagnosis, or a person who lives in the truth of it, which always produces life and freedom. Right. And be it you're living in the Middle East dealing with every day, just constant fear, or you get a diagnosis. And I will fully admit to all the listeners, I know your work. I know your work inside out. I have pages of notes from when I've heard you speak and you came to my small group. And and yet that first two weeks of that diagnosis. We call that confession, though, that be, that initial like, you know, when we when one scenario we were in and when we were working in Baghdad and our our whole team got killed in one day. And so that first you know, realization, notification of of the diagnosis or this, you know, your team is, you know, you need to come ID the bodies of your team and all that. You go into a phase of confession. That's, That's the Job crying out to God. It's like, this isn't fair, but you're just truth telling, right? You're just emptying your heart before the God who he's not afraid of you being, you, you let me down. Where were you? You didn't protect. This is confession. It's very beautiful. And it has to be done. It's, it's telling the truth. But then we have to let the truth be told back to us, which is repentance, actually, which is saying, here's the, tr- here's the actual truth of what's going on. But we do have to go through the anger. It's okay. It's necessary to work through that part. Humans have gone through amazing, terrible situations well by believing that they're not alone and they're not powerless. Wow. Thank you so much. This was a much needed infusion of reality. And I'm believing all of our listeners will feel the same way, that it's um, not as complex to get to that place as it might sound. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. One of my favorite supplement companies is Seeking Health. This company was created by Dr. Ben Lynch, author of Dirty Jeans. I'm a huge fan. And one of the products that I love so much that he's created is this liquid vitamin D. My body has a hard time breaking down supplements. So I love the flexibility of having liquid vitamins. And I started this product a few weeks ago. I went to get my vitamin D tested and it had gone up significantly. So I was thrilled with the results. And use the code ENOSFEB22 for 10% off your order. I love wearing my wireless headphones. They're so convenient. But I am concerned about wearing them for too long. There are native EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, that come from the sun or the earth, and then there are non-native, which come from cell phones, earbuds, electric blankets, just to name a few. I don't know about you, but I don't want high levels of EMFs around my body and certainly not my head. A few months ago, I saw an ad pop up on social media about a product called WaveBlock. This company created an anti-radiation sticker that deflects the majority of EMFs that are emitted by my earbuds. I was so intrigued that I actually called the owner of the company. We had a great conversation, and I asked him some tough questions about his product. 
I walked away won over by his enthusiasm and his story of why. When I asked him why he created this product, his answer was to protect his kids that were surrounded by EMFs all day long. I feel like I can now wear my WaveBlock protected earbuds all day since 95% of the EMFs are deflected. In today's show notes, I have a coupon for 20% off of WaveBlock. Use the code ENOS20 when you purchase your WaveBlock products. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening.